The following sermon was delivered during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is our guest preacher for today's service. This morning's preacher, Dr. James K.A. Smith, is professor of philosophy at Calvin College where he holds the Gary and Henrietta Biker Chair in Applied Reform Theology and Worldview. An award-winning author and widely traveled speaker, Jamie Smith is very well recognized as a Christian thought leader with the unique gift of translation for building bridges between the academy, the wider society, and the church. Smith is the author of a number of influential books, including the superb introduction to the philosophy of Charles Taylor, How Not to Be Secular, and his new book that we've been reading and talking about here quite extensively, On the Road with St. Augustine. Somehow, he also manages to serve as the editor-in-chief of Image Journal, one of my favorite periodicals, Image has as its provocative subtitle three of my favorite words, art, faith, and mystery. And it's a journal that seeks to look at, at religious themes in poetry, in photography, in classic painting, and in contemporary painting. Um, it's got, a, this is the most recent edition, which appeared in my box, I think, a little over a week ago, and it's got a poem in here entitled, Pastor Eaten by Crocodiles While Trying to Walk on Water Like Jesus. I I'm sure some of you want to read that poem, at least, because I know that secretly there's a hope that that kind of thing might happen there. So, for the past decade, I've admired Jamie Smith from afar. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of his work cultivating challenging and hopeful conversations about God and faith in the modern context. It is an honor and a personal thrill for me to have Jamie Smith uh, here this morning. Let's give a warm Fifth Avenue welcome to our guest preacher, Dr. James K.A. Smith. Good morning, friends. It's a privilege and an honor to worship with you. Thank you, choir, for that, by the way. That was, we can go home right now, I feel like. Um, let's pray for God's spirit to uh, open our hearts and minds. Gracious God, you are there and you are not silent. You speak, you meet us, you come to us. And in the season of epiphany, we know that we are illumined by the sun who is the light of the world. May your spirit now illumine our hearts and minds to hear your word, to receive it, and to live it by your grace and power. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Two scripture passages this morning, and I want to just preface Psalm 78 reading with a, a request for patience, because the first 90% of this are tough going. But it's all about getting to the end of the story in this. So Psalm 78, reading from verses 25 to 38. Mortals ate of the bread of angels, 
He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained flesh upon them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall within their camp all around their dwellings. And they ate and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the flower of Israel. In spite of all this, they sinned. They did not believe in his wonders. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought for him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not true to his covenant. Yet he, yet he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Often he restrained his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. And then the gospel reading, a familiar passage, I'm sure for many of us from Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. One of the temptations, if you will, that I think hangs over the Christian life today is what I would call the cultural illusion of a solution. That, that illusion that, say, the church is a place where we would go to get the formula, the tips and tricks the place where we come to get this epiphany that gives us the information that's going to change everything. But I think many of us know, well, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. The intellect might even be convinced, but our habits are still hooked. And it turns out the Christian life is not a solution. Baptism is not some skyhook that pulls us out of the realities of being in the world. The, the way of Jesus is a long road, and we have many miles to go before we sleep. I think this realization about the difficulty of the Christian life, I say this as somebody who was a, a late convert to Christianity, and, and any of you who maybe have experienced conversion a little later in life, you're like, okay, we got this figured out now. And then you live the Christian life a little longer and you realize, oh, I'm not living my best life now. 
This realization about the difficulty of the Christian life, I think, has really reframed how I hear this passage from Matthew's gospel. I think, I don't know if you're like me, but I've, I, for a long time, I always thought that this passage, I imagined it as Jesus' evangelistic pitch. That is, this, this was Jesus' altar call for people to come and follow him. But I've been meditating on this passage actually alongside St. Augustine. And one of the things that I've learned from Augustine meditating on this passage is I've come to realize this is not a passage for the seekers to come and follow. <laughs> this is also a passage that speaks to disciples constantly. That, that this is an invitation that Jesus is still extending to me. That Jesus keeps reminding me that I can find rest in him. And I guess the question is, why does Jesus have to keep calling me? Why do I need to keep hearing this invitation? One of the lessons I've learned from St. Augustine is, is what I would call his spirituality for realists. That is, Augustine, what, what I appreciate about the sort of form and version of Christianity that, I've, that I receive from Augustine is that conversion is not a solution. Conversion is not some magical transport home. Conversion is not like flu powder to heaven, if, if we have any Harry Potter readers in the room. Or, or think of it this way. Conversion doesn't pluck you off the road. It just changes how you travel. One of the reasons I found Augustine a comforting companion on the way is because he's a saint who is honest about how hard the road is, even when you know where home is. His, his pastoral reason, realism recognizes something that I hear. I guess I listen to probably way more popular music than I should. I don't know. But, it, but it's, I learn a lot of lessons <laughs> from listening to contemporary popular music. And it's funny, this sense of this kind of realism about the Christian life is something that I hear a lot in the music of Jason Isbell. Any Jason Isbell fans in the room here? If not, I'm happy to be a gateway drug to Jason Isbell for you. But Isbell constantly sings about this metaphor of winding roads and ditches and the way ditches seem to have a kind of magnetic pull about them. So uh, um, you can hear it in a band he used to be part of called the Drive-By Truckers, which is a great band name. In a song called Heathens, he sings, it just gets so hard to keep between the ditches when the roads wind the way they do. Or in his later solo work in a song called Flying Over Water, he puts it this way. From the sky, the highway's straight as it can be. A string pulled tight from home to Tennessee. And still, somehow, the ditches took the better part of me. From the sky, the highway is straight as it can be. I think one of the reasons why I love St. Augustine is he doesn't write from the sky. He writes from the road. He sees the ditches. He knows how close they are and their pull. 
And in fact, in his great work, The Confessions, which is his own testimony of his own journey, his own ongoing, not just his past story, but his current story, by the time you get to book 10 of The Confessions, Augustine isn't just recounting his past experiences. He's talking to you in the present. Now he's a bishop. And one of the things that he confesses is he still can't avoid all the ditches. We are still on the way. And he comes to this realization about the sort of persistence of ditches not long after his own conversion. In fact, in one of his earliest dialogues, he points out, he puts it this way, just as the soul is the whole life of the body, God is the happy life of the soul. While we are doing this, until we have done it completely, we are on the road. That's his metaphor for what the Christian life is. The Christian life is being on the road, on the way. In fact, Peter Brown, who is the great magisterial biographer of uh, St. Augustine, captures this creeping realization. He, he puts it this way. For some years, for a long time, Augustine remained perched between two worlds. Now there was no more talk of an ascent in this life. When the young Augustine became a Christian, he thought, oh, right, we are just climbing this ladder to holiness and perfection. Let's get on with it. And then he lives the Christian life for a few years. And all of a sudden, that metaphor of climbing and ascent drops away. And a new image makes its appearance. It's the image of the long highway. The moments of clear vision of truth that the mind gains in this life are of infinite value, Brown says. But they are now the consolations of a traveler on a long journey. Friends, I think there are two very different kinds of restlessness that can characterize us as we are on the way. Two different kinds of dissatisfaction, two different kinds of anxiety and restlessness. One is the restlessness that's engendered by disappointment that comes from not knowing where home is. The, the disappointment maybe of thinking you found home only to realize that it's not. In that case, the road is this endless exhaustion of continuing to try to locate home. Maybe this is where I can find rest. Maybe this is where I can be happy. Maybe this is finally what will give me peace. And we frantically search, and yet nothing seems to work. We can't seem to settle. And we experience the angst of the prodigal who's still in exile. That's one kind of restlessness that Jesus is inviting us out of. But friends, I think it's important that we be honest that there's another kind of restlessness that can be experienced on the road home while we are journeying with Christ. There is a kind of fatigue that can stem from, yes, I know where home is, but also realizing we're not there yet. A kind of directed impatience. See, the first, the first is a sort of baseline aimlessness that keeps looking for home and not knowing where it is. The second, though, is the burden of being en route, distracted by a thousand byways and exhausted by temptations along the way that sucker you into forgetting where home is. 
See, the first is the restlessness of the who's the seeker. Do you know, I, I quote song lyrics probably a bit too much. Sorry, Pastor. We'll get back to the Bible in a second. I, I <laughs> oh, okay. I don't like it, but I did. All right, I will not sing at you. So you're welcome. But I don't know if you remember the Who has a song called The Seeker. It's actually part of the soundtrack of American Beauty when Lester Burnham thinks he's finally finding himself. And what, what goes on, one of the lyrics in that song is, focusing on nowhere, investigating miles. I'm a seeker. I'm a really desperate man. That's an exhausting way to live. But I want us to be honest that even when I know where I'm hoping for, there is still a kind of restlessness that characterizes even the Christian life. And this is the kind of restlessness that you can hear in you too. Now listen, I'm going to apologize up front. I'm a white 49-year-old man. Therefore, the U2's Joshua tree is just kind of like downloaded to my heart. And... But listen to, listen to this lyric again. So in, in um, when I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, listen to this lyric carefully. I believe in the kingdom come. And I believe that you broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it. And yet I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is that an anthem for any of you? See, Augustine's, what I love about Augustine's spiritual realism is he doesn't shrink from honesty about this ongoing struggle. And in fact, one of the places where you hear this is in his counsel and his commentary and his exposition of this text from the Psalms, Psalm chapter 78. He reflects on Israel's experience after the Exodus, liberated through the sea, and he says this. Notice this sisters and brothers, after crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites are not given their homeland immediately, nor are they allowed carefree triumph as though all their foes had disappeared. They still have to face the loneliness of the desert and enemies still lurk along their way. And in fact, he'll say, and one of the enemies continues to be themselves. And so he says, here in, in Psalm 78, we also find a template for the Christian life, for the converted life, for the baptized life. He puts it this way. So too, after baptism, Christian life must still confront temptations. In that wilderness, the Israelites sighed after their promised homeland. And what else do Christians sigh for once washed clean in baptism? Do they already reign with Christ? No. We have not yet reached our homeland, but it will not vanish. The hymns of David will not fail there. See, the key to this other kind of restlessness that can still characterize even the Christian life, the key is to know where we are and whose we are and where we're headed and not be surprised by the burdens of the road. This is how Augustine told his parishioners, let all the faithful listen and mark this, let them realize where they are. They are in the desert, sighing for their homeland. The Egyptians might not be pursuing us anymore, but that doesn't mean that there aren't new threats on the way lying in ambush, ambush along on our path. 
to know where you're headed is not a promise of smooth sailing. As the psalmist reminds us, God's grace is always longer than the road we are on, always overflows our resistance and opposition. That's why that turn in the very end of our passage is everything. It's pure gospel. Yet he was merciful. Yet he forgave. And in fact, one of the other translations translates that last line, time after time. Time after time, God responds with grace. This is why, again, I, I, I sorry, Augustine's kind of my, I'm a bit of Augustine fanboy. And, and when he, in book 10 of the Confessions, is being honest about his life as a priest, as a preacher, as a bishop, it's such a gift to me because it's the testimony of a saint who admits he's still broken. You realize Augustine isn't just narrating past temptations he's escaped. He's confessing all the ways he's still tempted to camp out in alcoves of creation as if they were his ultimate home. I struggle every day, he admits, and I love him for doing that. That's authenticity. That's the kind of authenticity we should value. In fact, uh, Jay-Z has a, has a memoir, uh, uh, autobiography called Decoded, and he has this great quote where he says, this reality is one of the things that makes rap at its best so human. It doesn't force you to pretend to be only one thing or the other, to be a saint or a sinner. It recognizes that you can be true to yourself and still have unexpected dimensions and opposing ideas. Having a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other is the most common thing in the world. The real BS, he didn't say BS, the real baloney is when you act like you don't have contradictions inside you. Friends, the good news of the gospel is actually the good news that we can be honest about the contradictions inside us because God's grace is deeper than them. And I would say, beware of any Christianity that isn't honest about that. Beware of any Christianity that promises purity. Conversion doesn't solve temptation. If anything, being on the way with Christ only heightens it. We experience these tensions anew. They are deepened. Conversion introduces a new kind of resistance in my experience. It's a resistance of what I've become to what I used to be, and we live out that ordeal daily. Augustine himself put it this way, I am a burden to myself. I am a burden to myself. The question, friends, is how to bear that. And this brings us back to Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11. There is a burden that actually takes the weight off. There's a yoke that liberates. He invites Augustine, in the same way, commenting on this passage now in Matthew 11, he invites his parishioners to consider giving themselves over to the one who gave himself for them, the Christ who assures them, my yoke is kindly and my burden is light. And here's how Augustine comments. Every other burden oppresses you and feels heavy, but Christ's burden lifts you up. Any other burden is a crushing weight 
Christ's burden has wings. Friends, not only can you make it home, you can fly. The paradox of the gospel is that Jesus offers us a yoke that carries us. In fact, there's a beautiful testimony of this in Augustine's Confessions. O Lord, our God, we must find our hope in the shelter of your wings. Cover us and carry us. You'll carry us even as lowly children, and you'll carry us until our hair is white. And look, you're here, freeing us from our unhappy wandering, setting us firmly on your track, comforting us and saying, run the race. I'll carry you. I'll carry you clear to the end. And even at the end, I'll carry you. That's the good news. Let's pray. How marvelous, how wonderful, gracious God, that you meet us as these bundles of contradictions that we are and that your grace does not require perfect performance from us. It only requires that we cast ourselves upon your care, that we take on your yoke, which comes with wings, such that we can fly home to you knowing that you are alongside us all the way, carrying us. We give you thanks for this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. As St. Augustine once observed, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Friends, we all have restless hearts. So on this journey, as you go forth from this place, may you go trusting in the love of God, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and clinging to one another in the power and solidarity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you and God bless.